life, baby. She said, Let's go. Game, game, game of phones. Game of phones now. Where's Micah and Kate? Hi. They die? We're here. No, we're yeah. right here. Oh, hello. We're, I'm right next to you. But, in Zach, our, I gotta in tell you. Studio. Mm, I love I'm, I'm gonna studio. be honest. Please. Okay. I'm fucking Scared. fuming right now. <laughs> Are you? <laughs> Yeah, let's hear it. Because it's it, it's been such a long time since we had the chance to talk with each other about <laughs> what happened on Sunday's episode. It's, Ooh, it's been, been a whole such a long time for what five days, maybe at the most. It's been too long. I'm a little afraid. bit longer than usual. Longer than we're usually accustomed to. It feels nice to be. Back I, I thought the best way to convey my thoughts was to actually put them down on paper. Uh, to what happened uh, this past Sunday night. Oh, and beautiful! Did you write if, us a poem? If you'd like to, yeah, it's kind of a poem. Was this you? Was this is this is this your Facebook status that made it around the world? No, I said I wrote it on paper. It's on paper. paper. It's a paper Facebook uh, ink or with a leaded pencil. I wrote it with raven blood. (laughs) Ooh, you have an (laughs) ink blotter of blood detail. Mm Hmm. I do a dove's feather. I just catch them on the weekends and slowly bleed them when I send letters to people. (laughs) Well, should we officially say hello to everyone before we uh, read this Facebook post? I feel like there's been such a a gap, and we haven't been able to say hi to people with uh, particularly good audio. So this is what we normally sound like. This, 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 this is 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 (laughs) what? (laughs) No, no, come on! There was none of that in the show. I didn't hear any of that. No. Just a little bit, just a little bit. We're, <laughs> we're we're sorry, everybody, that that was out of our hands. But if our hands were, um, what's the the word when you can do donuts. anything? If Tie. our hands donuts. were donuts, oh. I'm thinking of Doctor Manhattan. If our hands were Doctor Manhattan, then that wouldn't have happened. But we're yeah. here with you today, and Kate's here, so it's even better. So much better. So much uh, better. Yeah. I don't know what was wrong with your live recording, but I think the number one complaint is that Kate wasn't there. Yeah, I mean, that's what we heard after the show. <laughs> the audio quality <laughs> was terrible because my weekend, voice was actually. missing. Aww. Yeah, we had we a did. lot of hopeful young men come up to us. We did. <laughs> <laughs> hopeful young. There, there was a guy that had a shirt that said "Hopeful Young Man." The- <laughs> yeah, they they just came, and we were our table was higher than the other tables, it and was. so they were like looking up, and also their eyes were at the top of their their pupils were at the top of their eyes, and they were just like, "Hmm, okay, uh, where's Kate?" And we, we were just like, "Well, Kate might not be here, but we have Rock'em Sock'em Robots." It's, the red viper in the mouth and yeah. so they uh, uh they just kind of uh took a flyer we handed them a flyer uh-huh. and uh and they they kind of walked off but, that's adorable i'm sorry if anybody of any of those hopeful young men uh are listening <laughs> i wanted to say i'm sorry and i'll send you my phone number later yeah well any popcorn was an absolute blast um yeah we did have fun we did have fun uh in close quarters with each other at the booth, manning the booth, and to everybody who came out and saw us and attended the live show, which is now on our podcast feed, we would, we do want to thank you for taking the time, and also new listeners who picked up those excellent leaflets that Zach had printed. <laughs> well, if you were there with us, like Eric said, we do thank you. And if you weren't there with us, we also appreciate you guys sort of sticking around during this uh, exciting time. I know it's the first time we've ever had a live show and it's the first time that we've ever went to a convention so the programming was pushed back as normal this week but we're here we're gonna jump right into the story this is what everyone's been waiting for this is what we've been waiting for we've been sort of hurting inside because we haven't been able to i feel like i needed the therapy session that i'm used to right after the episode Mm -hmm. and we didn't get that so all week i've just been in just serious serious pain just like my head is throbbing it just won't Mm -hmm. stop i feel like it's gonna explode something wrong with me yeah, I I felt the exact same way. It's been I just realized it has been like 5 days since this episode and I've just had to live 
with the reality of of what we saw. Have you been sleeping all right? I mean, no, I, sure I haven't. Those those closing been better this week. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. But uh, but that that imagery is not quick. Is it to get out of the head? I will say one of the best things to come out of all of this is. Uh, and the fact that we are now five days after I've gotten, I've gotten to enjoy a lot of these is the reaction videos that have been posted. Oh, yes. Um, people who've, God bless them. I love that there's this trend of people who know when stuff is about to go down in Game of Thrones and they surreptitiously, <laughs> I can't even say that word, surreptitiously. That's a big word. Thank you. <laughs> um, try to film their friends' reactions as they're watching these Secretly these episodes. filming yes. their like mom. Like, yes. Uh, don't yes. worry about the phone. I'm looking at Twitter. Right. Um, and so, and then they upload them to YouTube and there's all these great compilations, um, and just watching these reactions from other people. It's so satisfying because we've kept it <laughs> a horrible. secret for so long. And every That's time it George happens, feels. it's like, well, yeah, exactly. I'm sure George <laughs> has it to times a million, but, um, kunk, kunk, kunk. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I, I was surprised oh, by this week, by these reactions, it just seems so many people still watch this show with their parents. Hello. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. People but have I cooler realize... parents than we do. That's yeah. What, that's yeah. What apparently. Apparently, this no is the show that you watch with your family. No, Listen, my parents are cool. They know not to watch Game of Thrones on show night because probably three of my friends are trying to watch it too because we're recording a podcast <laughs> later. Uh, <laughs> They're like, well, yeah, nice. no HBO Aww. Go tonight. That's so Thanks, considerate. Yeah, it's considerate of them to let me use their HBO Go mm-hmm. all the time. <laughs> uh, I just have to say, though, I'm a little bit then disappointed in Christian who uh, won, right, on... So I know. On Sunday the Vi- the afternoon Viper one. with the Red Viper yes, during our Rock'em Sock'em challenge yes. Uh, yes. final bout. And Courtney, was it was Courtney, right? That was her name? Yep. Yes, yep. a.k.a. the Emily Rose Exorcist Hodor. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that <laughs> too. Line, but, yeah. For people who don't know what Eric's talking about, if you listen to the live show, um, the, the way she was able to come up on stage was doing the best Hodor impression, and she gave one for the ages. I think she scared the shit yes. out of Christian, as well as the <laughs> jumped. three of us. I've never yes. seen a six-foot-seven-tall man jump yeah. out of his seat before. It landed perfectly back in place, too, so it was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, so, Micah, why disappointed then? Didn't uh, didn't the Viper win on, on Sunday? You guys are funny. Well, it depends on your so definition funny. of win. I mean, the mountain, we don't know. If he is really dead or not, is he mortally wounded? Uh, will he recover? Uh, so maybe at the end of the Flesh day, wound. the mount, uh, the red viper did get uh, oh, what he so ultimately wanted. You know, that oh, might it's... account for all those ties we had at that convention, <laughs> right? And the guy that ran up there and just marked the tie. Someone was telling me about that. I just yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, so the guy comes up and is like, "I've read the book." So people were, we had a tally sheet right next to the the game, the Rock'em Sock'em uh, board. And people were sometimes not battling. They would just come up and vote with the Sharpie. And so a guy comes up and he specifically like looks right at me. I don't know if he knew I was unsullied, but he looks right at me and he's like, I've read the books. He has a Sharpie in his hand and he just writes under tie. He writes one tally and, <laughs> and, and, and grins and walks away. And I'm like, thanks, man. But I didn't That's realize Rock'em Sock'em robots could tie. And they actually did like 12 uh-huh. times. Like both of their heads just popped at the same time. Huh. It was amazing. Yeah. yeah, both their heads exploded at the same time. <laughs> so, um, but regardless, I know what you're saying, Zach or Micah. Sorry about being disappointed. It's it's terrifying to think what uh, fate awaits Tyrion uh, following following the events of yeah 
this episode. Let's read this uh, Facebook thing, dudes. Yeah, there was something that you wanted to read at the beginning of the show. Oh, yeah, Micah, read us your poem, please. Yeah, so, um, I, you know, I'm a little bit challenged when it comes to rhyming. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm going to do my, be- I'm gonna do my <laughs> best to just tell a, a nice little narrative I wrote over the weekend. <laughs> and, uh, you, you all can feel free to step in here. Um, I, I'll read some of it. It's quite long. Um, but I feel it's best that we all tell a story together. We're all a family here, right? We can riff so, off. You, you get us started. We'll, uh, we'll pick up where you leave off. Let's mm-hmm. talk about what's happened so far in this story. Yes. Uh, so as I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, I'm fucking fuming right now. Okay. <laughs> I hate this show so badly. Mm. Why? It's brought no joy in my life. All it's brought is agony. <laughs> what a bullshit ending. <laughs> With a why? <laughs> bullshit. 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 Back in season one, Shit. I backed my boy, Ned Stark, and that neckbeard decides to kill him <laughs> off. Oh, God. <laughs> neckbeard. That's a it's pirate stung. name. But I got over it, and I started backing his son, Rob. Right. He was younger, hotter than his dad, <laughs> and had a dire wolf yeah. on his side, so I figured it was a trade-up. That makes some yeah. sense, actually. Then, that P.O.S., George R.R. Martin, kills him and his whole family off in the most brutal way possible at a fucking wedding. <laughs> Are and you sure then that's not fuking? No, it's fucking. Okay. It's just the uh, old English. Okay. <laughs> got it. Got it. Got it. To got add it. salt on a womb. <laughs> I I think you mean wound, Micah. No, no. Remember what happened to uh, Rob's wife? Oh, of uh, course. Yeah. Of course. Uh, Continue. My bad. Oh, yeah. That's uh, we see that sick shot of his body on his direwolf's head. That was. That was what bad. kind of fucked up human Duke. being I think that thinks up Duke. stuff like that? <laughs> <laughs> I was devastated after last season. The Starks, who represent everything that is good in this world, were in shambles. Bran is going to, like, Antarctica. <laughs> Sansa is having a borderline pedo relationship in the Moondor Castle. <laughs> MDC. And Arya has been walking around for like three seasons doing jack shit. That's right. Shit. <laughs> jack shit. I used to like Daenerys because she has bang it. <laughs> I'll start over here. I used to like Daenerys because she has banging titties and dragons, but nope, she's too busy playing Judge Judy in a pyramid rather than fuking shite up in King's Landing. Instead of showing us any of Oh, let me try this again. Instead of <laughs> instead of showing us any of that, we get painful friend zone scenes with Jorah every episode that reminds me of my high school days. <laughs> <laughs> Who the fuck am I supposed to root for in this show? Okay, you bring in Prince O'Brien this season. <laughs> and I was balls deep into him the minute they introduced him. <laughs> He kind of looks like me and was an alpha fighter and lover and had some cheeky-ass lines. I was rooting for him hard to become the king, but nope. That neckbeard writes him the most gruesome, sickening death ever. Why couldn't he have just died in five seconds? At least the pain wouldn't have been so bad. Nope, you gotta have him die that way. (laughs) WTF is wrong with this show. Just when I think I was gonna make it, 
This show takes everything I love and face fucks it to death. <laughs> Great. Maybe we'll get more scenes with that F word mountain character who has an IQ com- comparable to Sweezy. My sports miscellaneous boys know what I'm talking about. Oh yeah, Sweezy. Meanwhile, the POS Lannister and Tyrell family gets away unscathed again. So many lucky bounces go into Tywin and Cersei's way. I hate them so fucking badly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My golden son, Jamie, in captured by Rob Stark. Oh, look, his better mom sets him free. About to get fucked in the Blackwater by Stannis. Nope, Tywin puts in a last-minute cheat code and in come the Tyrells with unlimited ships and money to help save the day. Oh, no. <laughs> Okay, one second. How, how do I get rid of Rob Stark in season three? <laughs> I'll just scheme some Hail Mary play with Roos and Waldy to kill off all the Starks at a wedding without losing a single person on my side. Not even one. My grandson Joffrey gets poisoned. No big deal. We'll have his younger, more aesthetic, kin- kinder, smarter brother become king and not a single fuck was given. Oh, about to have the mountain killed and my shady as fuck past revealed in King's Landing? Nah, at the last minute Prince O'Brien is slaughtered and I just moon. <laughs> Walked away again without a scratch. <laughs> Tywin moonwalking. Oh yeah, he just moonwalked. Pycelle's following him. Your grace. Kate, you must take the last bit here. I hate this show, and I'm done with it. Done. And from the preview next week, it looks like my boy Jon Snow is going to get fuked up by the Wildling army next week. <laughs> DFW, the most likable character left on the show, is Stannis Baratheon, who has a swag rating of 14 out of 100. <laughs> That's wow. low, I think. I swear <laughs> by season... <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I swear by season... Even Frodo doesn't think that Stannis deserves right? a 14 like, out of 100. At least Come a on, 15. Man. Shut up. I swear by season 7, this show will basically be the Lannisters slash Boltons slash Freys holding gay orgies in King's Landing while Stannis and Davos conjure up a plan every episode to fook them up. <laughs> but at the last minute, it gets fooked up like Pinky and Brain. <laughs> <laughs> Fook that neckbeard, G-R-R-M. Fook this show, Fook the Misk, and all of you. Wow. That was lengthy. <laughs> I was just feeling really inspired by Micah. I don't know. It's just like he's he says what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, you know? It, yeah. it is funny though, and, and obviously we've we've had a good laugh at this, and this was a, a Facebook post that was made um that's kind of circling around the, the internet now, but I, I I can't really get angry at seeing something like this because I can understand if you're just a, if you just watch the show, you might feel this way. <laughs> Which way? That it's a little tilted towards characters we love to killing them off? Well, we, we've talked on the show before how the Lannisters always seem to come out on top no matter what. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then it's happened right. a lot the last couple of seasons. And even what happened on Sunday, you could definitely argue um, Tyrion is... Would you say that Tyrion's not really a Lannister? I mean, in in terms of how we view him, and and I maybe that's not fair to say, but I feel like the, the Lannisters we dislike the most seem to come out on top. Tywin, Cersei. It's a certain breed of person. I think they're in the right place at certainly the right time. This is a sort of a, a stage that I feel like Tywin has been setting up since the days of the Mad King. You know, like mm. they knew what they were doing when they backed Robert. And he knew what he was doing when he married Cersei to, to Robert. Like I, I feel like this is just his heyday. You know, that's a really good point. And I think it was brought up on the episode that that was really only 20 years ago. Um, 
that all of that happened with the Mad King or so. And it's, it's shocking because for me, it's that, you know, backstory that way before the, you know, the books or the show started, this happened. But for them, it's only been 20 years. And, you know, I think that that's really not all that much time for all of this planning and all of these events to have occurred. Yeah. Not on the scale that it is. I think that and realistically, it's, it, it happened kind of fast. I mean, especially, you know, it obviously started with John Aaron, but with the descent of Robert and the rise of Joffrey and all that's happened after that, especially with Stannis, you know, getting cheat coded to death and losing. <laughs> yeah, uh, I actually like, I thought that was water. really creative. Unlimited boats and money. Cha-ching. <laughs> well, it's true. I was, Take the aliens down. I saw some of the branding from season two. I don't know if you guys remember. This was when we first started doing our show. And do you remember mid-season? It was just like war is coming. You know, it was such Blackwater, Blackwater. And it was a totally different cycle of branding from HBO. And it was a totally different spirit. I mean, we learned today that Game of Thrones is officially the biggest television show that HBO has ever had. That was crazy. That's so cool. Think about what Game of Thrones is. This is a a fantasy series, essentially, you know, based on a book series that is very niche. As as Brian Cogman put it, boom. That's what he said <laughs> yeah, exactly. on Twitter. It's interesting, too, because Game of Thrones isn't necessarily true fantasy, right? It's not high fantasy. It's like political intrigue fantasy. It's sort of mm. in a genre all by itself. I've had friends who have tried to read it who are giant fantasy fans, and they were like, I was expecting fantasy and instead, I got politics. They were like, "Where are my dragons?" Exactly. And they were like, well, they'll. I was like, "Just hang coming. on, hang on." Well, it's very much based in history too, and George yeah. R. R. Martin has said as much. Like, he's a huge history buff, and a lot of what shows up in the books has ties back to major historic events, or maybe some mm-hmm. lesser known ones in certain cases. And I know uh, I saw an article online too that the the mountain versus the viper, uh, you know, it was it could be you know, parallel to some other combat type fights that have taken place uh in history and interesting um, it's it's always cool to kind of read that 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 kind of stuff and but i want to know now what do you all think is is Tyrion's fate i mean tywin has sentenced him to death um oberon is dead and probably the most gruesome death we've ever seen possibly on television or even in movies i I don't know that there's anything worse than what i saw on sunday night (laughs) i had a friend in the office who watches Game of Thrones and she says she just kind of had to like cover her face until yeah. it was all done because she really just couldn't watch. Like once he started gouging his eyes out, mm-hmm. uh, oh, yeah. that that was it. Um, and and I didn't realize that when I went back and watched it, there were like those two overhead shots mm-hmm. of just looking down on Oberyn in the mountain and yep. Oberyn Prop is left side. all over the mountain. <laughs> And all over the pavement. It's very mm-hmm. gross. It's even more gross than Bill Nighy's uh, Davy Jones in Pirates of the Caribbean with the tentacles off his face. It's worse than that. Yeah, it's a little worse than that, Eric. Yes. By a factor of like a thousand. <laughs> yeah, yes. he, he was playing a majestical song on the piano. and then... <laughs> You know what it did for me, too, is it demonstrated the sheer strength of the mountain. I, know, I think, you know, as he was walking around and just kind of trying to battle with Oberyn, you couldn't necessarily get a feel for that. And... I know he was taking batting practice last week or two weeks ago when we saw him, but you know the fact that he just has the strength to lift somebody up by their neck, knock their teeth out, oh. and then Ugh. pop Ugh. out their eyes and mm-hmm. bust their skull in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it 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 it's it's it shows quite... you why Tywin utilized somebody like this. Oh yes, yeah. he's a monster. Yeah. I'm sort of I'm glad that in a way we didn't 
record this episode as we normally do directly after watching. Right. I watched this when I came back from Indianapolis and it was a late night and I was just like, I'm going to watch it anyway. So I felt like I was exhausted mind, body and spirit already. So by the end of this episode and when it happened, I was, I was feeling so great when, when Oprah was speaking to the crowd and he was, you raped her, you know, yeah. you murdered her. You, you, you killed her children. Yeah. The, the mantra there. It was just, uh, you know, he kept repeating it and I felt like it was just getting like knocked into my head over and over and I was yeah. already so tired and it was just happening. And then, you know, I just did not at all see that coming. I felt like we were about to get this beautiful moment where possibly he defeats the mountain in whichever way. And I, I thought we were going to see him pick up the spear after the whole thing. Like, I thought he was going to be like, who gave you the order? And he was going to do like this guy. And I thought he was going to spear and kill Tywin. Like, I thought that was going to be wow. the huge craziness. That, But no, just how hard do you have to be punched for all of your teeth to fall out like that? I never hope to find out. <laughs> have you guys yeah. seen the the YouTube video about how the mountain and the Viper should have ended. No. Yes. Okay. You uh, listeners, you should Google it. Well, we should put yes. it in the show notes. It's very good. Ozzy from Australia. Yes. He is a, a very nice gentleman and it is a ridiculous video. Part of why it's so shocking is because to your point, Zach, Oberyn does such an incredible job of convincing the audience that he's got no chance of losing. Mm. He is so confident. And and Tyrion addresses that in a couple of ways, actually, in the episode when I was rewatching it on Wednesday. I saw uh, when he, Jamie comes in and he says something like, Oberyn's very sure of himself. And Tyrion says, that's putting it mildly. <laughs> Tyrion, even Tyrion's <laughs> right. a little worried. You know, he's not sure he believes how good Oberyn thinks he is. But also, I don't know if you guys caught this on a rewatch, when uh, Tyrion comes out to the plaza where they have the combat, he said, he says, you're not even going to wear armor. He's like, no. And he goes, you could at least wear a helmet. Yeah. <laughs> I cracked right. up laughing. He's like, don't, don't touch that spear, by the way. Yeah. I was like, oh. And the wine too. That was the other one. Yeah. Uh, and where... that he was drinking. Well, yeah. He was thirsty. There, there's hot day. Yeah. How's a hot day? Tell your father um, I'm thirsty. Tell your father I'm thirsty. <laughs> but, uh, the, one of the things though that, you know, has kind of been talked about a little bit here is, is how confident he is. Mm -hmm. His pride is really what was his undoing at the end. Yes. And I think yeah. that he got to the point where he was so blinded by it that he didn't, he didn't think that he could lose. He, he mm -hmm. was, you know, he, he's somebody who we've seen throughout the course of the season who's very, very sure of himself. Um, but you know, I think it almost parallels Tyrion's situation because Tyrion's outspokenness and his willingness to just say things is very much his undoing and why mm -hmm. he was put on trial and why a lot of the evidence that was brought forth against him was so compelling because he couldn't argue against the fact that all these things were said about him or all these things he did in fact say about yeah. Joffrey to Edward. all these different people. Um, so with Oberyn, it's, it's a little bit of the same where He's, he just won't go in for the kill because he wants so much to hear this man confess to what he did. It's, it's almost been like a life's mission for him. He right. pulls the blade out of him. I mean, he's, yeah. he's no. like, yeah, he's no, like, you no, don't die no, right away. you can't die. Confirm yeah, the well, kill. Ugh. I think that the, the concept of, of justice is something that's revisited a lot of the time. We see Danny trying to move from being this, this uh, champion of pure justice to listening to her advisors and trying to be merciful in other ways. Um, and so that this is a, this is an ongoing theme. And Oberyn, in addition to being so full of pride, he is so blinded by his quest for justice that that blindness 
ends up being his downfall. Yeah. He's he's killed by his quest for justice. He ends up turning the whole trial by combat into something where it's not about Tyrion's guilt. Correct. It's about his own. It's like a spectacle. You know, avenging yeah. his sister. It is. It is a spectacle, and I think it makes Tywin pretty uncomfortable too, because uh, you know Tywin promised this guy in close quarters before that he's going to get to the bottom of whoever happened to send that you know, uh, order to, for the mountain to kill his family. Right. But that, that's not good enough. Now we're finding that, you know, Oberyn decides to question, you know, the mountain out in public. And the answer more likely than not is going to be, you know, Tywin Lannister. But it, it's just really, it, it bothers me how beside, I mean, I'm very upset about his death. I think he's an amazing actor, but it bothers me like how he just was able to, he's, he's, his character's ignoring, you know, the, the Tyrion aspect of it, which is that you're in a trial by combat, like, it's a deciding thing, you're either going to die or he's going to die, he's on his back, you've got, you've done the impossible, you've gotten the mountain on his back, take the shot, kill him, yeah. you know, but find out, yeah. find out later, just, just kill him, <laughs> do he's, it quick. He wasn't in it for Tyrion, though, that's, that's, yeah. that's right. the problem, is that his, his investment was not at all in, in Tyrion, and so he was, he was, it was absolutely about him, it was about Tywin, it was about the mountain, and it was, uh, it, it was, a trial of of Tywin, and there's mm-hmm. a there's a point. I think there's a there's this point where he's pointing at Tywin, and he's mm-hmm. making mm-hmm. it very clear who gave the order, who and he's demanding the, yeah. this oh. order, this this response. And what's interesting to me is that although the Mountain does not confess to anything to him until he has Oberyn's skull in his hands, um, he does it loudly enough that I feel like. The whole audience could have heard it anyway. Yeah, I think so. Does he say who ordered him? No, he doesn't. He doesn't. But he's, he confesses to all the things that Oberyn's been accusing him of the oh. entire fight. And I smashed her head in like this. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Oh yeah. man. Yeah. No, that's that's the thing is that that whole time when the mountains on his back, he's regaining some of his energy so that he can do that. So right. that he right. can, and he's just waiting. He's biding his time, waiting for Oberyn to make that crucial misstep, which yeah. is you know get close enough so that he can pull him down. It's. It's so frustrating that it happens that way, but it did, and it was an amazing, terrifying victory. And when the when the mountain slouches over at the end, you, you want or slumps over, you're wondering if he is, you know, mortally wounded or if he's just catching his breath again. I'm, I'm kind of inclined to think he's probably just catching his breath. Well, he's not slumped over; he's on his back, like on the ground, not moving at the end. Yeah, we can't shake a stick at what what Oberyn did during this fight. I mean, he he did outmatch the mountain in a lot of different ways but it just wasn't enough I and mean, he get he he stabbed him in the chest he gave him a vicious slice to the back of his calf and then of course the the jab to his midriff that i'm sure hurt a lot but a guy of this size i just felt like not only was it obvious that more was necessary um it's just i think about the spiked thumbs that he had on his gloves mm-hmm. like he didn't just he didn't just ram the guy's eyes in you know, the, the he second he, yeah. he, yeah, he, the second he grabbed his head, I mean, we're talking like, I knew when he was knocked down, it ha- it just happened so fast. I felt like I couldn't stop and help over him. Like, like what's happening? This is all the teeth and he's, and I just, yeah. uh-huh. when he's, you know, that when you get punched so hard that all, all of your teeth or a lot of teeth fly out and then you're on your back. Like at that moment, I, I, I knew it was over, but I didn't know it was over. But once you see like his whole thumb, inside of his brain you just you know it's just it's hard to talk about because we've we've spent this whole season 
growing to love this character. Like his right. confidence is something that we as an audience have been able to rally around and get behind because it's infectious. It's exactly it's infectious, but also in in this series we haven't really had a character like that in a very long time. He's almost reminiscent of Ned Stark, how he's this sort of hero yeah. in King's Landing, you know? I was going to say that, too, because you get an actor who comes on, really kicks ass, but isn't on for longer than a season. Right. And, you know, that – and and particularly with Pedro Pascal having to learn this kind of fighting style. Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. He's yeah. spinning. He's flipping. Mm-hmm. And it's just – it's it's for the all for this one scene. That this is the first time we see him really, like, crazy active and – he just does the whole thing. It, it looks so easy. He makes it look so easy, but it's clearly the most complicated thing that anybody would ha- would probably have ever done have done for a role on this show. I, I want to kind yeah. of give a shout out to the special and visual effects teams for this particular scene too. Not just the gore of Oberyn's exploded skull, but the the shot where Pycelle is giving oh, his yes. speech to the gods, and they show the whole red keep. Um, up on the hill behind mm. this courtyard, stunning. Like I, I when I watched it the second time, I just paused it and stared at that. It was gorgeous, like, so beautifully it done. Feels like Game of Thrones, you know. Yes. It doesn't even. It doesn't feel like the first season. The first season pales mm-hmm. in comparison of what they're doing right now in season right. four. Just the way that it feels so cinematically rich. I, I completely. When I saw that, I was like, when this comes out on Blu-ray, this is going to be the high-res oh, yeah. background of a lot of people's computers. Oh, oh yeah, wasn't yeah. it Brian Cogman who told us that it's just like they have so much more budget to do cool oh, stuff yeah. with this season, so mm-hmm. everything just looks so much better. I'm glad you brought up Pycelle though, because I wanted to talk about Tywin rushed him like yeah. through the opening prayer, and I was like, this is not the same guy who was a common, collected, like impartial judge of the the first part of the trial like he just wants to get it over with at this point he doesn't even let you know Pycelle say the prayer sure he's bumbling but i mean what where's your you know sense of uh what's the word ceremony tradition yeah. <laughs> yeah i i feel like it was done more for comedic effect than anything <laughs> right. else you need to laugh it after what's funny. about to yeah. yeah nobody really respects Pycelle at the end of the day no. i think mm-hmm. it was also meant to demonstrate that but you know just going back to the fight you know, I really felt that, and and I wonder if if you got that same feeling. You, we've all seen sort of the the Halloween's, the Friday the Thirteenth. You know, the killer's not really dead. Mm. I felt like that with the mountain when he was flat on his back and Oberon was kind of dancing around him. Like, you know, it, it, it's like the stupid kids who just don't get the fact that it <laughs> takes more than just one or two shots to kill this. You know, th- th- these these larger than life characters that have become these horror icons. You know, you know Michael right. Myers is going to get back up after one stab right. or gunshot. And the Mountain, because he's just this big ass character, and and he's he is larger than life, right? He's he's seven foot six, pure muscle, and he gets his jollies by just like hacking people to death. His uh, his organs have backup organs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Beneath his chin is another fist, you know. It's, it's it's that kind of thing. I will say I was a little disappointed in the takedown of Oberyn. I get that the mountain is this really strong guy and like I'm sure when he knocked out his leg, it would have probably knocked anybody down, but I felt like it was a cheap way, you know, and then the transition between grabbing around the throat and picking him up, it just it seemed like it was a little bit off. That that would be the one right. criticism that I have about that scene. It, yeah. You know, and that's what disappointed me too, is like here you have this character that's been so beloved throughout the course of the 
entire season. People really did rally around him. They loved his confidence. They loved sort of his bravado and what he brought. And in a matter of seconds, you know, he was, he was done. He was gone. But that's all it takes. That's all. That's real life. That's combat. Yeah. That's everything. I mean, Oberon has a stick or sorry, a spear that is, you know, probably about six feet tall and he does not need to get anywhere near enough close to near close enough to have to be taken down in this way. Um, he could have, you know, again, it's all about the show. So maybe he wouldn't have just poked him in the face from, you know, six feet away, but he certainly sure as hell could have, especially, I mean, you got the mountain on his back, take the kill shot, yeah. do it, but he yeah, wouldn't do you're it. Right. You're right. So but the thing is though, um, I feel like that was the only opportunity the mountain would have gotten to win. You, know, he had to actually get a hold of Oberyn. Yeah. In order, you know, it's like, it's almost like, you know, chasing a chicken around a little bit. McFoley versus the Undertaker. Yeah, ex- exactly. You, <laughs> well, wait you, for them to come to you. I'm assuming that that's the moral. Well, yeah, exactly. Because I think Oberyn was the better fighter, no question. And yeah. the only way that the Mountain was going to win was he, that he had to physically get a hold of him, or you know, hit him hard enough that he was going to you know be unconscious for a period of time. Oh, you know, Oberyn was the better fighter, and I think the Mountain is the better killer. And maybe there's mm-hmm. a, there's a, a very very fine line between those two things. But I like in the that. end, it didn't matter that Oberyn is the better fighter. That's not that's not what it was about. He gave up. He gave up. He gave up fighting and started to make a speech. Yeah, but that's that's the whole deal. I mean, we've got the Mountain who addresses Oberyn as you know, basically some dead man, right? And he he went in there with the agenda of I'm going to do whatever it takes to just like Eric was saying, walk out of this alive. And, and even if Oberyn didn't go in for Tyrion. Even just knowing the fact that he went in for himself and for the grandeur of showing Tywin a real payback, you know, like this is how I'm going to pay my debt in a grand fashion. I'm going to disrupt your entire trial because I know that I'm a better fighter than this guy. I mean, we're talking about the Red Viper, the Red Viper of Dorne, a guy that since a young age has basically been carving his legend around Westeros and Essos, training Mm -hmm. and becoming a badass, ending up here. At King's Landing, in front of the who's who of Westeros, deciding a fate of another Lannister, who is basically in the family that's running the entire kingdom. I know that Baratheon is their last name, but we all know yeah. what's what. So yeah. the drama, the drama of all of this, I, I think, going to your point, Micah, uh, about the fight scene uh, being a little clunky in some parts. I've been reading a lot online from opinions from book book readers that have said that. The strangeness in this particular scene is because it almost felt so close to the book's adaptation of the fight versus the TV show, like trying to put a spectacle in it. So in my mind, I'd like to think that Alex Graves directed this with the thought of, okay, this is so important. This really can't be touched by Hollywood. Like we're, we're showing a fight scene between two people, not a battle. We don't have a tavern where the hound is fighting with Arya. We don't have posts that we can use to make like shallow depth of field and cool looking stuff like we have to shoot this out in the sunlight and make this fight between these two great fighters look interesting you know i i, I still don't think i'd even be able to like form a single sentence about this scene if i hadn't seen pedro pascal's tweet about the two actors those two guys <laughs> like what did he say buds yeah or ben- yeah bros buds, buds. Yeah. i think he said buds and it's a photo of them in the sun, just smiling. And I needed that. I absolutely needed that. My soul needed that. Yeah. Seeing that that this was in some degree of fun because it's horrific. I mean, Alaria uh, Sand says it best when she screams. Yeah, yeah, she <laughs> or did or scream. say it best. So good. <laughs> I yeah, never really. care to ever hear that again. Yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you guys a question. Oh, what 
would let's let's put ourselves into the happy universe where Oberyn won that fight. Let's let's all take a little trip down into our our, our did, dreamland. Did he poke the mountain in did the face? Did did that did yeah, you know what? However you want, however you want him to win, that's how he won. Okay. Just imagine that. Yeah. What and and also imagine that before the mountain died, he confessed that to the rape and killing of all of these people, and also pointed the finger at Tywin. So, so basically, you're saying let's pretend Pettigrew didn't run away into the forest as a rat. <laughs> oh. But he had to because Harry could never be with Sirius. All right, so Eric, back to the point. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. So let's just pretend that this incredibly important plot point went the other direction. What mm-hmm. was Oberyn hoping to achieve by making it public that Tywin was responsible for the murder of his sister? My theory is that if this were if this had come to pass, then Dorne would have launched a war um, against the Lannisters. What do you guys think? With Tyrion on his side, they they can't do anything even, about it uh, because this is this is something that um that that Oberyn agreed to do. It's not it's not murder. It's a trial by combat. Somebody's going to die. They both volunteered to do it. So I don't think that there can be any repercussion. Not not officially anyway. You can't get yeah, angry. It's basically a suicide. Like it's <laughs> there's much, not yeah. there's no murder here. Well, I felt like it was a suicide. Yeah. I mean, to be I mean, he and in his choosing not to, you know, deliver the final blow. I'm right. I'm interested in what Dorne would have to say about this this combat too, because in <laughs> even though he turned it into this thing about his sister, like if he lost, doesn't that also mean his sister's death was by the gods justified? I mean, it's mm. it's a really weird thought to have. I mean, because nobody deserves to die in the way that Elia did, uh, and also the way that Oberyn did. We would think, but and her children, yeah. He's clearly the good side here, and right. he's died. He's another good character. Who's Tyrion died. makes that point in his cell. He says that we've the judge, the gods judge innocence by making two men hack each other to pieces. What does that say about the gods? The gods, yeah, right? exactly, absolutely. I think that's actually an allegory to the writers of this show. <laughs> but, um, in in your in your world, uh, where right. where the the Dornish. Um, start a war against the Lannisters. Um, the Lannisters. No, I mean, we don't have to, we don't have to say that that's uh, something that we need to pursue, but I was just wondering what is Oberyn's next step? If he had won that fight, what does he do? What's the next thing Oberyn does? Littlefinger's brothel. He's going to have a lot of With sex. Tyrion. He's going to probably have some sex. Yeah. Cause Tyrion's single now because Shay peaced and did her bit. Yeah. So p- probably a lot of, Brothling between uh, Tyrion and Oberyn, yeah. honestly, you did get a semi-confession from the mountain, right? You did. So oh, we yeah. did, yeah. It's it's still going to have some ramifications in my mind, ba- all the way back to Dorne, because now you know he he confessed to what he did, whether he lives or not, still remains to be seen. But that in and of itself, I think, and and they know who the mountain takes his orders from. It is very very clear. Um, now they may not have gotten complete confirmation of that, but I still think the information is out there. So whether or not Oberyn has won, he still achieved part of his goal. Well, perhaps the book readers know this a little better than than I would here. Um, but I mean, people seem to have already known that the Mountain killed uh, Elia Martell and her and her kids. I mean, people seem to already know. If it was mm-hmm. the mountain who killed her, that Tywin sent her. I mean, she was a princess. This is a big deal, but it's kind of a big deal 20 years ago or whenever this happened. Sorry. They, I think they do know, Eric, but the point here for Oberyn was real poetic justice. Like, this is the man that 
decimated part of his family, not only brutally, let's just forget that. Let's just focus on the fact that now his family is dead. His sister and her children, his family are gone. So in, in, in a way, it's like Oberyn did what he wanted to do. The mountain is hurt, and who knows what's going to happen. I know with that little hint from inside of the episode, something bad may happen to him. We'll see. I mean, I don't know if we're meant to believe that he's going to get away from this unscathed. But if he dies or not, I feel like just getting that was at least something. You know, I know it was so horrible and so devastating and, and really, really bad. Like, there's there's really no good thing we can say about such a great character leaving the show. But like Micah said, he at least did get a little bit, right? Yeah, I agree. Um, it's just that he attempted to do too much. You know, he, he, he actually succeeded in breaking the mountain physically, which is, which is unbelievable because you look at the mountain. He's just, what did Christian say? He's seven he's foot the six. He's six foot. He's half a foot taller than Christian. And, uh, now he also tried to break him mentally to get him to right. confess. Here's a man who, as you say, decimated you know, Oberyn's family decimated probably hundreds of thousands of other families. And that kind of a man doesn't confess. That kind of a man doesn't own up to his actions. In order to sleep at night, you you just can't be the kind of person who will ever admit that you've done any wrong at whatsoever. So I think it's a chronic uh, misreading of, of a character to think that he could have gotten the mountain to say anything. And the, the reason that he does succeed is because it's, it's the mountain's killing... Uh, it's his own mantra. I did this to her and I was happy to do it. I'm going to do the same to you. So that's the only reason it works. But otherwise, I don't think he should have expected at all for the mountain to ever even remember who this girl was. I mean, think about how many people he killed. So does this parallel to the Orson Lannister bit that we get from Jamie and Tyrion when they're sort of sharing this brotherly moment before the chaos ensues? I think it must. It was an important scene. I think in the subject material, we didn't get to finish because the horn blew for the fight. But we're seeing this senseless killing from the mountain, which, like Eric said, he's undoubtedly done his entire life, which is why he was put up for this task. The little bit that we got from Oberyn is the small glimmer of, of goodness within the sensible, the senseless killing. But at the end of the day, I, I think we're meant to be left with the feeling that this is a huge loss and it was pointless because the whole world is so random and a lot of things are pointless, yeah. you know? Like Beetle Smashing, as you said. Mm-hmm. This Orson Lannister character. <laughs> I, I liked the scene with Jamie and Tyrion because um, it's very rare that they feel like brothers because they are so different as men uh, in appearance and in profession and in their choice in women. Um, I feel like they couldn't be more <laughs> different. Well, the sister's taken. I mean, Tyrion had to go somewhere. But in this scene, and in in a couple of scenes that they've been in recently, but particularly this one, they felt like brothers to me. They they, they felt really like did. they were just they were just two brothers sharing this memory of a weird relative that they had, laughing at the same jokes. <laughs> um, and they they felt like they had a history. They did a really good job with that scene. It was heartwarming. It was. It was. It was. It's just any time a character ponders life, what does it all mean? And Tyrion himself, his, it's just the way the narrative works with his story. Like, I was the smartest person I knew, so so I thought I'd ask myself. <laughs> you know, it's just kind of really, it, it sucks you in, and you can appreciate him asking what does it all mean moments before he's basically to be sentenced to death. And he lets his little beetle friend go at the end of the speech, and it's one of the sweetest things and it's it is contrasted so much by what happens about three months three minutes later in that in that episode. But letting the little beetle go and the way Jamie looks at him and he realizes that 
Tyrion would never harm a fly. Unless that fly were Joffrey. Well, it's a, yeah, no, it's certainly not Joffrey, right? Like that's, I, I feel like that's the one, that's the point of that. He gives him this look like, oh my God, you're dying for no reason. I think Eric's saying that if he slapped a fly like he slaps Joffrey, the fly would die. <laughs> no. <laughs> Maybe. If it's if a big mosquito, you never know. Yeah. Uh, kind of I feel like though there's, there's so many different things that you could take out of that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, everyone who watches it probably interprets it in a somewhat different way. Uh, you know, I just thought about how they're, they're referring to this cousin who is simple minded, right? And, mm-hmm. and they use some other words that probably in this day and age would not be very PC, mm-hmm. um, to describe the condition. They're very uh, Mac. Simple. He's a simple man. Yeah. And he just loves to squash beetles, but I think it just shows you that it was almost symbolic of, of, of what's just going on in this entire story. Never mind what's happening, you know, right at this moment or what's going to happen a few minutes later. I think that people that we like or people that we don't like just continue to be killed by simple minded fools who just don't know any better. And there's maybe no they reason. Do. There's no grand design. Yeah. Right. There's no People just die. Plan. Right. Right. Um, Jamie has that line. He says, every day men, women, children are murdered by the school um, of them. So, I mean, this is – it is an allegory for, for real life, uh, the fact that – Who gives a dusty fuck about a oh! bunch of Beatles? <laughs> <laughs> dusty fuck. I laughed for four minutes when he said that because I always try to th- – find the best word to preface that other word and that it, it literally might be the best i feel like when they wrote I've that they were it, like i've, I've already got used it, it three times in conversation i've totally added it to my lexicon oh man it's wonderful i'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big fan and i think that it, it i mean let's not glorify this one little phrase but it just does such a good job of of pulling away from the dramatic conversation the cadence of how it flows is so well and let's forget about what's before it because there's so much more episode. And let's forget about what happened after it, because it's gotten so much of this episode. But let's just say, in this beautiful dungeon, <laughs> these brothers got to relive some of their childhood mm-hmm. and got to relive some of the good times. And it's just a nice breath of fresh air amidst all the bad stuff we got to see. And I felt like it was, it was a lot like uh, Arya's laugh. It was sort of the same thing. Mm-hmm. We've kind of gotten I- used to peril in season four. Definitely. So much We've though, lost that we some laugh major characters. Yeah. yeah, you look at Joffrey, Lysa, and now Oberyn. And the, the the last thing I just wanted to say about that scene was, you know, it, it's not uncommon, just based on other things that we've watched and we've seen that when you have characters who are facing death, to be very much thinking about it. And I think this conversation was a way that Tyrion could kind of cope with what was going on a little bit. Um, but also I would say that they talk about certain kinds of death, um, which is really important, uh, moving forward, uh, in the series. The fact that, you know, they're kind of going through is, oh, what is it called when you kill your cousin? Is oh, that that's important. That? Uh, I don't think so. That's important. Well, regicide. Like everything that's included in the show is important. They, they, they don't waste minutes. I mean, these are, <sighs> these are millions of dollars being poured into these episodes. If something is stated, it's there for a reason. It's not just mentioned in passing. It's interesting. I I think that there's a, there's a running theme from that the beginning of that scene into actually Eric's point about Meister Picel, which is when Tyrion he says his line about how uh, what does it say about the gods that they make men hack each other apart, and then he tells this whole story that that is a obviously a fable or a parable of some kind that is intended to 
be a, a remarking on the randomness and the arbitrariness of, of death and life. And then Picel, we go right into Picel giving his prayer and Tywin dismissing him. And I actually, we, we talked earlier about that being comic relief, but now I'm not so sure. I think it was another way of showing us that the gods had nothing to do with it. Like there was, there was no, there, this isn't a trial. The, the, the trial by combat is supposed to let the gods decide who wins. But Tywin dismissing the gods out of that whole conversation is so we know this is not about the gods. This is, this is about men. This is about petty grievances. Um, and there's, there's nothing noble and there's no divine fate. The gods, the gods don't have a plan for any of what's happening here. Um, and it's it's so it's just so frustratingly arbitrary. Yeah, and I and I think it was an underlying theme throughout the course of the entire episode. You know, there's yeah. was the conversation between Baelish and Robin. You know, when he's talking to him about you know don't be worried about dying, worry about living. Mm-hmm. And you know, he goes through you know people die at their dinner tables, they <laughs> die in their beds, they die sitting on their chamber pots. Like he goes through <laughs> all these different ways that people die. But it's so much parallel to what Tyrion is talking about, like the senselessness of it all. Mm-hmm. You know, how Orson was sitting there popping the Beatles one after the other after the other. And despite the fact that all these different characters are in different parts. And then, you know, you get the absolute devastation that takes place at Molestown, right? So death, it sounds stupid to say that it's an underlying theme of, in an episode of Game of Thrones because <laughs> let's face it, we get a lot of it, but I think it's an the fact that it's theme. thought about, like it's it's much more analyzed in an episode like this than I think it ever has been before. And you kind yeah. of juxtapose it with the religious element that you guys were talking about. Well, we have two differing perspectives here. We've got Tyrion, who's almost a defeatist in this in this moment, he's in his dungeon and he's speaking much about the senselessness of it all. But then you have Baelish, who's speaking to Robin, and he's trying to impress upon this person. And of course, we know it's most likely for ulterior motives. I mean, getting Robin out of the veil, getting Robin to leave the nest, as it were, and to visit his places of interest uh, is clearly a ruse, and we'll see what comes of it. But his his approach. I feel like was one of the more lighthearted parts of the episode, one of the more inspiring and happy parts of the episode, which is not normally something I guess you would say coming from Baelish, but it it happened here, which basically he's saying is, I know it's rough and it's terrible and it's bad, but you really have to do as much as you can and enjoy it while it's here because you could just get smashed kunk and it could be over. (laughs) I found it to be remarkably good advice and remarkably good parenting. You know, it's possible that he just wants Robin out of his way. It's, it's, you know, probably more than likely, but the idea that Robin should go and look at, you know, check out his, his domain, his kingdom and see these people and, and learn a little bit more about life beyond his mother's breast. This is something where you, you do need to, to, to make that in, in order to grow, you need to, especially in order to govern, to rule. It's, it's something that need should have happened a long time ago. Didn't, but it makes sense. And I think that Baelish really, oddly sees a little bit of himself in Robin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he does have that line to the, the Vale Council, uh, that sickly boys can become powerful men. Um, more often course, they die young. More often that, yeah, <laughs> no, I see what you did there. <laughs> Sometimes but they get too sick. <laughs> they kind of die too young. Um, but, uh, so Baelish and, uh, and Robin, yeah, definitely just kind of an interesting thing. And I, I think Robin though, for all of his, um, attachment to his mother i think he kind of i don't know likes the idea of 
of going out now and that his mother is gone. So it's, I, I don't, I don't know at all what to predict about that character. You know, it's like trying to predict what Varys is going to do next, but, but I think that I know even less about Robin. So I, I, who knows what that kid's going to grow up to become. I'm just looking at what's happening with the two characters that we're mentioning, juxtaposing their points of view. And we've got Baelish seeing Robin off to some sort of destiny. Let's say that it's, it's legit and it's inspirational and he's actually going to go out and, and maybe start rallying the banners because the Lannisters are doing bad things. Everything the light touches. (laughs) Yeah. Everything. (laughs) He's the uh, Simba of the story right now. No, right now Baelish is ahead in a lot of different ways and he came from nothing. He's had to have this sort of bright approach to things. Otherwise, he wouldn't have gotten to where he is. But we have Tyrion, who's rotting in a cell, who's sort of, you know, in a lot of ways, I know he's dealt with terribleness because of what he is. But at the same time, he has been a Lannister and he hasn't wanted for nothing in a very long time mm-hmm. um, outside of his bad stuff. So I feel like he's more prone to being the negative side of of his outlook in life versus Baelish. And they're obviously in very different places because of this. I think. You know, I love how you just compared those two because it's also thanks to Sansa that Tyrion's wife, that Baelish is even alive anymore or around, you know, this episode, she comes up with that testimony. I would have thought that they would have pre-rehearsed it. I mean, she's very clearly the only, right. only witness, but no, she comes in and apparently comes up with that story out of nowhere. He thinks he's doomed. And really, the many faces of Baelish in this episode were a huge highlight for me, um, because by the end of that, by the end of Sansa's confession, he just looks like he's totally got, he knows he's gotten away with murder. And that was shocking. I mean, it's, but Sansa, definitely another huge, huge role, uh, you know, huge bit of acting, really, really good in this episode. And I think I'm finally starting to see what people are saying about her, you know, coming into her own, playing the game this, that sort of thing. She, she kind of made a strategic choice to have him keep her safe, to keep her, to keep him around. I know Micah and Kate read, have read the books. They're mm-hmm. further ahead. They're mm-hmm. dirtily sullied in many different ways. Mm-hmm. And I've heard some things about Sansa's arc, just some people being displeased with oh, no. what's happening and how this is being portrayed. Like Eric said, I've, feel like Baelish is the type of person that would have pulled her out of that room almost immediately and been like, all right, here's our cover story. Here's everything you need to know. Are they, are they sort of mistreating Baelish's character in a way by showing him not being prepared for a situation like this? And was it for the, the pro of Sansa? Like, did they minus a little from Baelish? So, so she could sort of have this moment right now in season four. I would just say that, you know, and, and I know this was brought up on, maybe the last episode before the live show, but there's a difference in the plot and that difference leads to things transpiring a little bit differently. If, you know, not to use the word different as many times as I can in one sentence, <laughs> but I'm indifferent to your using different as many no, times. No, I, I think that when the events that transpired, yes, he does still push her out the moon door. Um, but there's, somebody else who's there that's kind of used as a scapegoat, I think that that completely changes the dynamic of the story. And Mm -hmm. so when you don't have that in the show, then you have to take some other liberties that you, you normally wouldn't have to. And so I I actually like it. I think that it makes Bellish more vulnerable. I think the fact that he doesn't, know what Sansa is going to do in that moment. He's so unclear about what direction 
she's going in, or actually, I would I would even argue that he thinks that she's going to out him, and everything that he's worked towards or these past years are going to come completely unraveled. And yeah. the fact that she's able to turn on a dime and save his ass, mm-hmm. I think, makes him indebted to her. And the fact that she's pretty hot um, and appealing <laughs> to him is also going to be a sort of chink in his armor moving forward. So yeah, there's a lot more that takes place. And I, and I think that's the case though with a lot of these storylines, right? They're, they're always going to be somewhat condensed versions because you just don't have the time. And, you know, a lot of the interactions between Baelish and the Lords of the Vale, um, you know, go on and on for, for several chapters, but this, this kind of was all nice and neatly tied up into, to a package for, for the viewers of the show. I feel like I want to find out for the listeners that are unsullied and maybe even the sullied ones to kind of just discern what the showrunner, the showrunners are doing with this part of the story. So if, if they cut that out and I I guess I'm assuming that if Baelish had a scapegoat, Sansa would have had to been in on that plan. If she were there, I'm not sure if that's how it happens in the books, but Mm -hmm. that may be a different kind of game playing from Sansa because that's kind of selling someone else out. Whereas in this situation, no one really got hurt. She was basically right. I, I'm halfway selling Baelish out, so maybe she's more likable in this case for the show. I'm saying like we still get the fact that Sansa has her big like game playing moment, but at the same time for TV, we're kind of making it sort of a half-assed romance where she's knowing that her wiles could you know sort of put her in a better position than <sighs> being like he someone she's just someone he's just taking care of like now. I feel like she's growing closer to an equal because of what she did for him. She gets the woman to stand up and hold her because she's crying. You know, these are this is the council that's supposed to convict Baelish and find out what happens to, you know, the kingdom now. And Sansa is 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 just in tears. This is great great acting from her and and really just she she wins all of the sympathy. She wins the scenes. She wins every one of them over, even Waymar Royce. Uh, and and par- part of the way she does it is by selling Baelish kind of partly under. He's like, Royce is like, you lied to me, you little worm, in front of my face. And it's a great moment. But in the end, they all come around. And, you know, the lion's like, well, Lysa was prone to melancholy. You know, they all agree. <laughs> they kind of just agree that because she was so she crazy, was crazy. An odd she fish. was crazy, crazy. Like an odd fish, because she, because she She's was totally... crazy, they get away with this. It's like because you can, you a history of mental instability would and cope, coupled with the jealousy. I will say that's a a big thing that you know there was a kiss between Sansa and Baelish. Just a peck, my lord. She used it as you know into the to fuel this story where. A jealous Liza threw herself out of the moon. I was, I was, I, I believed it. If I hadn't seen otherwise, I would know no different. <laughs> I did not see this coming, guys. I don't know how, Micah, you've managed to keep this from us for that long because, you know, there's been so much of just Sansa just sort of walking like a zombie for seasons <laughs> and seasons. It's I feel true. Like. Mm-hmm. And now that's not the case. I mean, theoretically, we're looking at Sansa walking down the stairs in a hand-sewn mockingbird outfit. I mean, she, she could be like the right-hand person you know, she could be like the Jorah to a Danny, essentially, you know, except the, the roles are reversed and it could just be like crazy. Like we have Arya, who we feel like was in such a stronger position always, even though she was out in the run. She was a tough person reading off lists of people she wants to kill. And now she's, you know, killing people without a thought. That's cool. 
But the Sansa that's been a hostage for so long can now like shift to be a powerful person, and that's crazy. It's yeah. really, really cool writing. She's got her first grown-up outfit. I mean, that I think she looks like a woman for the first time in that outfit. I mean, maybe it's the brooch. I don't, I don't know what it is. I think that she saw an opportunity for the first time because for for her to really be in control and she realizes that the alternatives are not that great i mean she takes huge risks telling them who she is but she realizes that if she turns over Baelish and he gets convicted for killing lysa how does she know what's going to happen to her? How does she know yeah. what, what where she's going to go? I mean, for all she knows, somebody at the Vale would turn her back over to the Lannisters, right? Who would pay, pay for her some way? Uh, and I think that she knows that if she plays this game the right way, she has a very powerful ally in Bal in in Baelish, and you know she's in, she's in a safe place for right now. And better the devil you know. I mean, she goes back to sewing afterwards she's just oh i gotta make a quilt you know after this and and now the, the the reason that it wins is because the council doesn't tell anybody else that she's there so her secret is still safe of, of her true identity i mean if more people at the veil knew who she was then aria wouldn't have been you know stopped i guess in a, in a way i mean i i doubt now that aria is going to try and get past the bloody gate if the person that they were going to see is dead and she doesn't know her sister is right up those stairs. Uh, Once that. again, these writers have done this to us where two Starks are so close, but well, it's a long ride up. up circumstances. To I really, really don't think, sir. I mean, circumstances there, but that's the gonna... tease. That's the tease, Eric. They did it with John and Bran twice. Why do they do this to us? This is annoying because we're hopeful. And now we've got the watchers because on the wall. They can approaching on sunday and you're we're, that, that's not gonna we're not gonna get a look at Arya and sansa so we're literally going to have to wait until the final episode if that see, right how, yeah if that to see what what happens well, sansa doesn't even know Arya's is alive right so and vice this, versa really yeah darn that's uh that's uh, yeah very tantalizing well i i just uh where do we go from here uh, i wanted to say uh honorable mention to waymore royce's father uh, do you guys remember the opening of the entire series? Um, what a callback and tie-in. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Very, very cool. Yeah. You lost a head. Well, uh, <laughs> speaking of tantalizing, uh, there was uh, a couple of scenes over in Essos between Misande and Grey Worm. This feels like a completely different episode. Now that we're talking about like this, kind of going into this scene, feels completely different that, that we would be able to have a romance budding in the same episode where a guy gets his eyes crushed into his skull and his skull explodes. Unbelievable. And no, it doesn't happen in the books. So Danny never finds out if it's the Pillar of the Stones? <laughs> we I can't mean, get it. That's I don't a spoiler. Remember. I don't think she's quite as interested. No, I mean, I, look, I think it works for the show. I think it gives them an additional storyline that they can kind of grow over the course of however many episodes they choose to do it. And, and I think it's it's an interesting dynamic. It's certainly something that George would have had to have kind of signed off on a little bit. Um, but I think, no, you don't, you don't kind of get that insight, at least from my memory, Kate, you can tell me if I'm no, wrong. No, I, I believe you're exactly right. It's interesting though, because the way we, we went into the scene was so 
shaking for a moment. We had like the water and the violent splashes coming. We were at the wall right before it, I believe. And it was just boom, boom, boom. And then it's obviously one of the more lighthearted scenes we've ever seen. We've got tons of shirtless men. We've got tons of shirtless women. And then we've got Grey Worm just like really enjoying the bath time, really enjoying the sights. Bath uh, time again. Taking it all in. Yeah. And I feel like it's interesting that we're talking so much about death and life and all of these other great high mysteries that are at the, the bottom of, of stories. But we're also getting this sort of love story between two very uh, unlikely people, I guess. Unlikely because of what's happened in Grey Worm, but also because of how dedicated they are to serving Daenerys. Speaking you know? of dedication to the service of Daenerys, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yes, they are very devoted Grey Worm and, and Missandei have proven that time and time again, and so has Jorah, uh, to be quite honest, but he gets outed in this episode, and he gets outed by Sir Barristan, who received a letter, um, which was actually his official pardon uh, that that uh, Robert signed way back when um, in season one. Did this get and- lost in the mail? Did this, no. Did they no. choose FedEx over this UPS? This was uh, courtesy of Tywin Lannister. I yeah, think it has the, all... the seal of the Hand of the King it when did. he opens it. I don't think Ned would have sent that off. I don't think so either. <laughs> Unlike we, we had the scene a couple weeks ago where Tywin asked um, Mace Terrell, right, for the his pen and paper or his quill and paper, whatever the hell you want to call it. And <laughs> yeah. He was a good boy, and he went and he fetched it. And <laughs> I think that good there was mace. an accompanying letter, obviously, <laughs> to this. Um, but there you saw, as Kate mentioned, it was sealed by the hand of the king. And uh, it was Sir Jorah's pardon uh, for, you know, as long as he agreed, really, uh, to be a spy for the crown on Daenerys and, and kind of get his information that he was picking up back to Varys and... It was it was a depressing scene to watch, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. Yeah, I know that a man was was hit with an axe on the top of his head, <laughs> and I know that also several other men were literally flayed, probably uh-huh. alive in this episode. But is it safe to say that this was the second saddest moment of a very sad episode? <laughs> I could feel Daenerys' yes. anger through the screen. She was she did such a great job. She wouldn't even look at it. him when when Barristan, he's uh, Jorah, pleads with him for a moment alone. To talk to her, and he says, "You'll never be alone with her again." Yep. And that's that. That to me is the most the way he delivers Ouch. that. I'm like, that's that is the point at which Jorah's life is destroyed. Like that it's that over. line. Like you're never going to be alone with her ever again. Mad props to Barristan though for coming to Jorah with this. He said, I, true. I, true. "I thought yeah. I'd tell you first before rather than going behind your back." I mean, mm-hmm. that's yeah. a that's a man's man right there. That's that's, that's mad respect is what it is. Yeah, yeah, it is. Well, yeah, yeah. accompanied by mad like. Disdain. Lack of trust now, yeah, yeah, disdain. Well, I mean, they they're both sworn to their positions. You know, I, I I can only assume how hard it would be for for these characters if it were all real. You know, and especially for Danny. And you were saying that we could feel her anger through the screen. Like these are these this is a pair that's been longer together than any other pair in the show. Like continuously, mm-hmm. it's 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 hard to see that rock be broken because it was like our last tie to old Daenerys before. It, this all happened to her and it was her last tie you know i felt like that was yeah. like the last person she could really trust and so she is just she's so pissed off but she has to hold her composure you know i feel like he doesn't really defend himself very well he is obviously going through a very emotional 
you know, uh, distressing period in his life. He, he confesses to loving her, but I don't think he made it quite clear that it was his love that stopped him from spying. Um, well, he wanted to be alone with her. I think it would have been a, a massively different conversation. I don't think it would have changed anything, but there were, definitely would have been more love bits in it. You know what I mean? Well, it, yeah. It, I mean, it comes down to the poison and everybody remembers this. She remembers this. It could have seriously killed or, or, well, it would have killed her and the child that she was carrying. And I think that's really the issue here is that it goes back to old, like, again, as you said, old Khaleesi, but Daenerys with Drogo, with, you know, the life that she almost had as a, the wife of a, of a horse lord before it all went to hell. And I think that part of her still wants that to have succeeded. I mean, surely, you know, because she cared for Drogo. But this is something that goes back. It's, it's, I guess she just feels, instead of feeling like he betrayed her a long time ago and has since changed his ways, she feels like, she feels like instead that his betrayal that happened so long ago is more important than ever now because it's gone on so long. It's constant. Yeah. yeah. It's like always there because he never told her. I mean, yeah. he was there. He, the worst part of it when, when, when she was talking to him and she said, did you tell them about my child? Yeah. You know, did you tell them that I was carrying Drogo's son? That's that's something you don't pass on. And that wasn't at the beginning of their campaign together. We've read the book. We know how, how much time there was. So for George to, to be there with her and to be so loyal, I just feel like that's like the, the mother and her child for her. That's like you you told Tywin Lannister about my kid yeah. get out of here and, and i mean she lets him live though i mean that how's that for mercy answering justice with or answering injustice with mercy i would just say you know keep in mind that barristan is not somebody who you know i mean he came in with a clean slate because i think he told her the truth from the beginning you know he revealed who he was and told the truth about being pardoned by robert and you know the fact that at one time he did serve um, her brother. So, you know, it's, it, it's almost like Jorah, you, you want to, you want to argue for him because in many ways, and I'm sure I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm sure I'm going to upset some people by saying that I'm, I'm not sure that Barristan is any better, you know, um, not, not in that he did anything directly to Daenerys the way that Jorah did, but, you know, there's still some question marks on his side um, even though he is this sort of loyal, bold individual. Yeah, I mean, he was serving the Usurper when all of this was even happening with Jorah. I mean, technically, mm -hmm. he was also cast out by the Usurper in a way because Joffrey's his, air quotes, son. So I feel like maybe on Daenerys' end, him traveling over there is a way that he paid his debt. But hasn't Jorah paid his debt over the course of just being there for her and helping her reach this point? Yeah, I would argue that. Yeah, totally. Um but she doesn't see it that way because he threatened her child. So, I mean, it's, it's Which I the understand. Whole... Yeah. And it was one of the saddest exits I've ever seen on the show. Oh, it was very a, much a, so. An epic view of Marine <laughs> and the, the show again, showing its cinematic graces and showing the muscle and then showing just how good they can be. Yeah. I, good, good luck. Any other TV show catching up to that. <laughs> and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I, I do believe, though, that that incident with the wine was what set everything into motion, right? With, with Drogo wanting to go out and basically 
find a way to march on Westeros. Um, yeah. Oh, because they're the yeah, because they saw they, they, they saw that they enemy. tried to kill her and and her child, yeah. and and that His was child. done intentionally because of information that Jorah was passing along. So it, really, you know, if you want to kind of play it out, Jorah was responsible indirectly for everything that took place after that. It would have meant well, like yeah, a, a continuation of the Targaryen line, wouldn't have, if, uh, oh gosh, if the son of Drogo was was brought into the world. That's crazy. What a powerful baby that had been. <laughs> Can you imagine? Like, it's a dragon horse. That thing is crazy. The stallion that mounts the world. So, um, Kate, we got this letter <laughs> in the mail. Uh-huh. Um, it says that you've been spying on us for another podcast. <laughs> what? Oh, this is awkward. Yeah, um, that explains a lot. I love you guys, though. No. No, don't say that. No. <laughs> Never this come whole back. time. Kate, did you tell them about the clap? <laughs> <laughs> did you tell them about owns? I love you. Just go. Just go. You have until sun up. Kate has to leave, everybody listening. We're not done. There's a whole lot of episode left. Oh, it's yeah. a late night. Okay. Or we'll cut off your head and make it the cover art. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good iTunes it's threat. Why don't you save that one for the end? <laughs> Bye, Kate. See you Sunday. Bye, guys. Well, now that Kate's gone, I think we can finally talk about the devastation at Mo Kaling oh, because it was gruesome. Absolutely. I'm so relieved that we were spared by it being mostly off screen. <laughs> Dude, they flayed some guy. I mean, yeah. it's not like anything was really off screen. It was, it was there for all your eyes to see. Right. And not to mention what was happening with Theon. That was also hard to watch. The way they met it, I felt like that guy, you know, he went on a limb being, you you know, the Ironborn. They're the type of guys that are going to do that if they really, really want to do it. So he really, the axe was sealing the deal. I'm going to put all my faith into you, guy. I hope that you're Theon and I hope that we can really get out of here. That's what it was. It was faith. It was hope. He hoped that their dire situation was at its end and, and that they would in fact be given safe passage. I mean, it's un- it's unclear that that guy could read the letter. So it's possible the letter doesn't say, I promise you safe passage out of here. But if that letter does say that, then we learn what we already learned, which is that Ramsey is not a man of his word. He just, he wanted to flay them all. And apparently Roos doesn't care. He promotes Did you really him. think that they were going to get safe passage? Though? That's part I, of the I deal. That's part oh, of the deal. No you, way. You, you, you want... Not while Ramsey's there. Let me just say that. I didn't think for a second they would be safe. Clearly. I mean, I thought what was going to happen is exactly what did happen. But this is how you negotiate uh, this sort of thing as being a surrender as you, you get them home, you know, in order to for them to give up this strategic place. So, I mean, I, I think it really on paper, it looked good. And I think he the, the, this guy's flaw is that he dared to hope, but they were sick. They were, um, you know, weak due to the due to the sickness, and it was spreading, and they were dying, and it was really only a matter of time before they all succumbed to their illnesses. It's kind of mm-hmm. like uh, the story of Stannis, um, you know, with Davos coming to the rescue here. They, they were I just, think though yeah. that you know, one I found it interesting that nothing that Yara saw at the Dreadfort had made its way to Mo Caitlin to let them know this is what Theon had become. Uh, Dear and, Moat Kalen, and I think that brother. <laughs> the words, though, calling him a whip dog, calling him a woman, mm. you know, I thought that they were direct ties to the fact that, you know, a couple episodes ago we saw him sleeping with dogs, and that's really what he's become 
to Ramsey, right? He's become his dog. He's basically a pet. Yeah, he does anything and everything that he's told to do. And a woman in the sense that he doesn't have his male parts anymore. Uh, right. And I think that Theon, you know, is is just so non-existent, right? He, yeah. He, you almost see Reek come through um, when he's inside oh, yeah. Mo Caitlin. You know, he, he doesn't know what to do. And if that guy didn't get an axe to the back of his head, he may have completely fallen apart there. And who knows what would have happened uh, to him. Oh, it's especially effective that the guy who's saying these things to him is Ironborn. If he was going to appeal to anybody, if he was going to relate to anybody, and he tries, he tells the backstory of when Balin Greyjoy bent the knee, you know, to, to Robert Brathian, it didn't work. You know, to have your own king, kinsman say those things to you and, and, and then not believe you and choose to go his own way when you're in this weakened state, you see him completely collapse. Um, so you're right. I mean, it was it's devastating to Reek slash Theon. Um, the plan didn't work out quite so well as it could have. I don't think that Ramsay bet on the fact that the guy was going to raise his voice to Theon as well. And I feel like he's been sort of trained to bow down to authority. So when that guy was, was starting to be authoritative and he was like, well, blah, 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 blah. That's when he started to lose his, his place. He was like, you know, am I reek? Am I reek? Am I reek? And then obviously the axe and the, the man being submissive sort of helped him gain his acting back. Reek slash Theon was able to do his job and Ramsey was able to take Bo Caitlin and it earned him quite the prize. What a prize. From this day forth. You are Ramsey Bolton on this day and until your last day. You know, wouldn't have it made, wouldn't it have made the best punctuation if then Roos gets out his sword and stabs Ramsey Snow right then and there and said, by the way, this is your last day. Because wow. what you did to those men was freaking crazy, yo. He flayed everyone there alive. Yeah. I was kind of thinking that Roos was taking him up there to kill him. As it turns out, that's how you win daddy's affection. This is, for all you people at home who want to know how to win daddy's affection, that's if your father's Bruce Bolton, that's how you do it. I feel like this scene was so dramatic. It was so beautifully filmed in Northern Ireland, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, the scape. I'm just going to say the scape, not the landscape, just the scape, because there was so much <laughs> inside of it. And inside of this, I mean, it was we were happy for Ramsey in that moment. <laughs> we were happy for a character that is a bad, bad person. I mean, he is he is not redeemable. He's bad. And we were happy for him. We were happy that he was getting this gift. But in that moment, I was so intimidated after they rode away and I got to see, you know, Theon basically riding as a lieutenant for someone else's army again. When he's just like, uh, come Reek, I believe I'll be needing a bath. (laughs) Another bath, please. (laughs) That time is totally canon now. I think the scary thing, though, now is that it gives him more power. The fact that he carries Bolton as his last name as opposed to Snow, he's not just... The crazy bastard. bastard son of of Roos. He is officially a Bolton, and they are on their way to Winterfell. You know, I didn't see yeah. that. I didn't know that a piece of paper could really clear up that issue. <laughs> like, I mean, Ned. I think never... it's. I think it's said in the books that you can officially have it changed, um, but it has to be done by somebody with a certain level of authority. Right. And Ned was going to do that for John. Oh, was he going that to do that deal. for John? I think I think that was understood uh, during the parting. He was like, "You're a Stark, all right. Listen, and I I would like to think that in a perfect world, that's how it would have ended up. But obviously, that's not the case. Right. Well, I think he also knows other things about John that 
Yeah, Maybe. possibly. May not make him a real bastard. So what are they going to find when they get to Winterfell? This is crazy. The we'll warden, have to watch and see. The Warden of the North. It's still smoking on the credits. It's still on fire. <laughs> I think, honestly, that what we're seeing, judging by how dramatic the shots were, and just how I felt like the scene at Moat Kalen was just a show of the power of these people, and then of building up Ramsay after the fact. They're moving further into the North. They're moving to the old domain of the North. We had the whole bit about the mileage, and it does sound vast. Think about those... Oh, gosh. Blocks of land on either side of them by horseback or, or miles on foot. East. Yeah, he's the new warden of the north, and Ramsay is now a successor to that. You know, he's working with Tywin, who is very much doing things in the south, as we've seen in this episode also. But we've got these assholes to contend with now. And I just, there's not enough episodes to contain it. I just, I don't know what's going to happen with these guys. I love how Roos was like, what, tell me what you see. And, and Ramsey was like, nothing? Question mark. <laughs> it is a lot of land and it is the North, but Ramsey's more focused on people that he can torture than necessarily having this power and prestige. But you're right. It's huge for the family. Absolutely huge for the family. And knowing that the Lannisters are getting along with those guys right now is terrifying. Um, because it is so much space. It's too much space to really overthrow. I mean, if you have the, if you're at the seat of power, which as we learn is, or as we did learn was Winterfell, um, where they're headed now and presumably no one's there to fend them off, they're going to have a stronghold. They're going to rebuild and just be unstoppable. In fact, the Starks will have nowhere to go back to the living remaining Starks. It's because he wants to wipe them all out. So it's, it's pretty scary that not even the Starks' home is their home anymore for very much longer. And he's shrugged off Brandon Rickon at this point. And he's, I guess he's also shrugging off Locke because, you know, he's, they're just assuming that this victory at Mo Kalen right now, I guess, is enough for celebration and, and enough for crowning bastards. So why, why the hell not? Let's just forget them at the same time. So mm-hmm. I don't think that that's going to bode well for them. And I hope it doesn't bode well for them. I just know that right now we're seeing a very Lannister-like arc with the Boltons where everything is just going very conveniently right for them. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, Roos even says he refers to Bran as a cripple and Rickon as a kid. So what could they possibly do that would have any effect at this point? on their rule on Winterfell. But I think though, you know, kind of turning the discussion here to, I think this is probably the last scene or series of scenes to talk about is, you know, looking North, right? Mm. Uh, John now has potentially another group of people to contend with, uh, possibly right in the, the Boltons, Boltons because they are not the, um, the Starks of old. They're not sort of the, the family that probably would help, you know, the wall in any time of need. So how does that, you know, factor into the equation? And, you know, we saw this week, um, we knew it was coming. It was just a matter of time after the scene a couple of weeks ago, but in attacking Molestown and really just obliterating anybody in, in, in the path of the wildlings. Yeah. Ygritte is terrible, but I will say she does spare the woman and child. And, and she didn't even have to say like, I'm one of you. I'm a wildling too. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I thought about that. And I was like, no, she didn't even, Make I you know they made contact, but maybe she knew because the way she looked. Somehow, somewhere, Craster's you know lineage gets to carry on still yet another day. Uh, don't know if that'll be relevant for anything, but uh, definitely an interesting scene. Of course, we're meant to like Egret now, I guess, a little bit more because she's not <laughs> she's not completely as terrible evil that we thought she was. Uh, 
I thought that it showed her ability to choose, you know, the fact that she has her own free will, that she doesn't have yeah. to follow orders, the fact that she can kill who she wants and she can kill who she, or not kill who she does, she doesn't want to kill. You know, she, she didn't want to kill Gilly and, you know, baby Sam, though. I like what you're saying about somehow being able to sense that she and her son were, were wildlings themselves. But I, I think it speaks more to who the wildlings are as a people. Well, do you mean in contrast to the White Walkers who don't have choice, or what would you say? Like, no, I mean, I think the Boltons, just everybody, everybody is following the command of somebody else. Um, But I think something that the the Wildlings have always stressed is they operate of their own free will. Like, Ygritte could walk away today if she wanted to and not fight with any of them, and I don't think anybody would pursue her. Or I don't know. Tormund was pretty hard on her for letting John go. He was though, right. right? I mean, this is a big deal for her still being a part of the group because she was very nearly banished from what I understand. Well, she's on the task force, you know, like man sent out a special party of people. And I think she's just expected to be one of the crew mm-hmm. at this point. But like what Micah is saying, it's not like the wall where, where John's brother is at war because people are being horrible to their family. You know, he's, he, he had a reason to leave and help Rob and, and how interesting that could have been, but he didn't because if you ride away, you're going to, you're, you're going to be beheaded, yeah. but that's not the, that's not the case for you. Yeah, no, I can see that for sure. Um, and I really appreciated the Night's Watch brothers comforting Sam on the matter, uh, saying that she probably escaped, probably hid. Um, very interesting, very, you know, kind of heartwarming, these brothers looking out for each other when they know that they're about to die. Talk about adding insult to injury. We learned that Blackjack, Kegs, and Molly, three of the brothers of the Night's Watch, were actually in Molestown when this <laughs> happened. So we know now, I mean, already the very small number. We're, we're now sitting at 102 men versus, let's just round it to an even 100,000 terrible freedom-fighting wildlings. Mm. I, I'm scared to death. And giants and mammoths and all kinds of things. We have a whole episode and how much cooler could an episode title be? The Watchers on the Wall. Sounds like an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Welcome um, to my campfire. It, it does um, sound like a really cool episode. It will be episode nine, which means it which will used be an to mean epic something. episode. Yes. No, it it still does mean <laughs> something. I mean, but, but you know how they said wow. every episode this season is an episode. Is a season. Well, has, have it, has it not delivered, though? It has. Yeah, I think Honestly. it has. It definitely has, but... Yeah. I mean, this is going to be a great fucking episode and a great ending to the season. I can I can guarantee it. Even though I haven't written it or seen any of it, <laughs> I can guarantee you that this is these next two episodes are going to be really fucking epic. I mean, I'm hopeful because ultimately it it's not just the safety of these men at the wall who we care about, it's the safety of the whole realm. And this is where I didn't quite get your question about the Boltons, about how if that would be a new family for, for, for John to contend with somehow, because ultimately it's in their best interest to police the wall or to send more people to the wall that they can. Um, because. Well, I would just argue that the Boltons are responsible for Rob Stark and Catelyn Stark both being dead. Oh, I can see how that would irk John if John is still around. And to they be now hold Winterfell. A but, place that he grew up. Yes, but ultimately it's in everyone's best interest for them to get along with the wall. So it might be a personal thing for John. I completely understand and support. But nobody wants a 100,000 
you know, wildlings to come and rape and pillage everywhere that you look after. So I think, I, you know, if, if this weren't happening tomorrow, let's say, um, and there were more time to, you know, again, ask for backups, ask for assistance, I think they would get it from the Boltons just because they have to. I think it would take a lot to get there because right now everyone is so focused on their small, just personal egotistical struggles. Sure. And that's, that's pretty much the, the sad story bit that we get from all of this. Mm-hmm. All of these things are happening that are such a big deal to people. And we have all these beloved people either passing or, or triumphing or in general, just being big shits, honestly, in comparison to the bigger issue, which is you've got a hundred people that are neutral to everyone else that are, at the wall, you know, for a lot of different reasons, but for their oath's sake, let's just consider them men of the Night's Watch. They're there to protect the realm, and they're going against an insurmountable odd here. I I, I don't know how something has got to happen, and Eric, I, I don't know. It's going to be nuts, but something has got to happen because surely, surely they can't lose. Well, that's what I surely. thought about Oberyn going into this episode. <laughs> I, I was know, like, I hey, hot, sexy guy. He has a beard just like me, looks like me. Like, he's, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was you part of that beard? Facebook thing. No, this is part of that Facebook thing. <laughs> no, but I think 102 people, right? Um, would have been 105 if those three guys weren't in Molestown. Right, but I would say 103, right? And, and that 103rd right now is the wall itself. Like, that is the best ally that the Night's Watch currently has. The right. fact that, you know, you have, I don't know how many wildlings are going to look to attack from the south, but we know that there's definitely a threat coming. They're they're in between the mole, uh, Molestown and Castle Black. They're on their way. That's, That's the immediate threat. That's the immediate uh. threat to them. And then, of course, you have 100,000 others on the other side of the wall um, that are going to be – I don't mean others as in the others. I mean like other uh, people. Oh, the others. Uh, so smoke. You have I, them I too. So – uh, you know, I, I think that they're in a very, very difficult position and they need as much help as they possibly can get to your point, Eric. I don't know that the Boltons are the right people though, because I don't even know that they would get there in time. You know, I think they're just getting to Winterfell now. I don't know that between now and, and, and episode nine, the beginning or the middle that they would somehow make it to the wall or that they could even get word to Winterfell, much less know anybody is there. Um, so I think that it's definitely going to be a tough battle for John and, and the Night's Watch. Well, let's just get excited because like I was saying earlier, season two was all about war is coming and here comes Blackwater, Stannis versus the Lannisters. Here it goes. But people, HBO has had a few more years. The crew on Game of Thrones has had a few more years and there's been a few more bucks thrown into the mix. This is going to be the episode, I truly believe. Like it's gonna make Blackwater look like uh the kitty pool playtime. It's gonna be nuts. It is, man. And I'm excited. I'm scared. Like I said, it's gonna be fucking epic. I'm, I'm ficking epic. I'm just scared. Fiking epic. <laughs> fucking epic. All right, well, Let's do uh, Owens before Carl Tanner kills us all, shall yes. we? Yes, Owens, 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 Owens. We've made it to the Owens. Uh, Owen to Sansa, obvious reasons. I think she comes into her own. Uh, Bela shows her one. That is a great position to be in. I think that's very true. I have Kate's own via text message just now. <laughs> if anyone wants to hear it, listeners, I'm sure you do. This is Kate's first. It starts, um, and then I go, LOL. And then next text is, sell me. He's a bro till the end. Ah. Mm. 
which is true. Yeah, it was nice what he did for Jorah, a.k.a. not nice what he did for Jorah. Yeah, it would have been a terrible surprise to do in front of Daenerys. That's not really fair. Yeah, so but, good on uh, you. Yeah. Good on you, Selmy. Good times. I actually have to give my own to Arya's laugh <laughs> at the veil. Desperation, right? It's kind of... she's She's been so... Just the unluckiest person. Every place she shows up to visit family, they're dead. It doesn't get much worse than that. And I think she's just <laughs> laughing at the irony yeah. of it all. I mean, three days. Three days. Had they been three days earlier, had they not stopped at the Convenience Inn for some hot pies, right. you know. <laughs> that was not them. That no, was no, 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 no. I know. But, uh, you know, or, oh, or the see. tavern for chickens, you know. It's like uh-huh. <laughs> if he had had three less chickens, you know. Well, anyway. That's funny. And and also – um because the hound's not going to get his money after all that. After all the Arya carting he's around, gonna he's going to have to take doing. her to River Run, I guess. Somewhere else, he's going to have to do something, I, or or just stay. I mean, they could meet on episode ten. You know, they could literally. I just hope meet. they meet. All right. Um, I guess it's time for my own. There's a lot of things in this episode. Part of me wants to give it to Alex Graves for the tracking shot at the very beginning of the episode going into the brothel at Molestown. I know it kind of has a little jump just as someone walks past, but it wasn't really noticeable. But I thought another really cool way to cement the the cinematic prowess of the people behind the show, because that's a very hard thing to pull off, especially without a break in quality from what we're used to seeing. Like It's hard to create deep sets like they're making on this show, and the ability to capture that with free-flowing movement is a, a pretty cool thing. And to the actors for blocking the entire singing and burping bit that was there. That was very impressive. Agreed. Or I, I like it to the blood going through the floorboards. I think, I think maybe that's going to get it. That was pretty gross. And there you have it. Those are our owns. This was an episode full of thing, literally two full of owns to pack into a segment with just the three of us. And even with Kate's text message, it still wasn't enough. So we're going to have to throw it to Eric Skull for one of his world famous and very important this week segments of Eric Skull reads a tweet in five minutes or less. Here we go. Yeah, he's Mario. That four eyed kid says Gilly's baby owned Egrit's silence. Well, and ours too. <laughs> Agreed. Babies work. Um, good, yeah. Good, good tool for science. Mike Lewis at Game of Owns. Conk, conk, conk. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Zach does it much, much, much better. Okay, Katie Flores, the Red Viper channeling Inigo Montoya. Hello, my yeah. name is Oberyn Martell. You killed my sister. Prepare to die. My name is Inigo Montoya. Manu. My nuclear bomb on Twitter says, own to Ilaria's reaction, which may be the best three seconds of acting yet, <laughs> and for creating a new reaction gif. I have not seen the gif. What do you think they showed her a picture of to make her look that scared? Oh, I really want to know now the behind the scenes. Or maybe she just acted. <laughs> well, that anyway. Yeah. <laughs> just a Just a random says, the mountain owned the Red Viper. Oh, that's too easy. Oh, uh, but they add, my head exploded after that scene, not literally. <laughs> okay, that, that makes up for it. <laughs> nice one, just a random. Not Dan says, own goes to me, Sande, for her birthday suit, and also Sansa for uh-huh. learning to play the game. There you go. It's not Dan. Marvin says, Roose Bolton owned every other dad by having the best father-son <laughs> moment of the entire show. <laughs> That's true, actually. Even even Ned took Bran to a beheading. <laughs> ben Woods says, my own goes to Jamie Lannister for not giving a dusty fuck about Beatles. <laughs> yes, thank you. Who's a dusty fuck about Beatles? <laughs> he doesn't sound like that, but I did. Robin Hunter says, Baelish owned the Hound by killing Lysa three days too early. <laughs> How cool was that? 
No gold. You're right. <laughs> he doesn't get. He does not get his money. Yeah. Where is uh, Lord? Oh Lord? yeah. He's whoring somewhere. He had. A, he got a lot of gold. That's all he's doing. Kristen Keyes said Arya definitely owned the Hound. Her laugh was priceless. Happy to see that she still has a sense of humor. Luke Larson follows up. My own goes to Arya for being the only person that has laughed hysterically in the Hound's face and lived to tell about it. So far. Good point. Good point. There you go. There you go. Ben Woods gave it to us. What? You guys get my own. I can't hear the theme song now without getting Peter Dinklage stuck in my head for hours afterwards. Me either. We made no. that video, guys, but we didn't. <laughs> Neither can we. <laughs> Emma Walton, Peter owned with his speech about where people to die. Uh, Ali Tarwater, I knew it was coming, so I just covered my eyes and listened. I peeked and regretted it. Okay, oh, no. so I guess the show owned there. Yeah. <laughs> Matt Hatter. Uh, asked this, was it just me or did Sansa's new dress have feathers on the shoulders? <laughs> yeah, wasn't it owned? It yes. was a question. Um, like a legitimate question. It was just you, Matt Hatter. Uh, and here's a final one I think we can all agree with. Alipe R says, the show owned my stomach with that final scene. Hashtag, uh, I feel sick. Uh, that was Eric's goal. Five minutes or less. That was less. Good good job, Eric, though. I like it. it was succinct this time. Uh, you know, people can always find all of the at replies <laughs> to us by searching for that at reply. Look, it's easier, okay? You know, we always feature only uh, a real, pers- you know, small, small fraction yeah. of, of all of the owns that we get. And, and so I would encourage you to just search for our handle uh, on Twitter and you get all the things that people are saying to us constantly just like if you were our account, which is Game of Owns. That's true. We were actually thinking about integrating some coolness with that on the next website redesign. But right now, we're, we're doing the old school way. Eric reads the tweets. And of course, like he said, you can go search them. And I really think that you should because we, we can't even spare the oxygen for the amount of awesomeness that has been tweeted into us every week this season. Of course, it's gone up every year, but this season has just been crazy the amount of just wonderfully hilarious and serious and dramatic and almost every spectrum of humor comma dramedy that we get in from you guys in owns form so thank you thank you thank you thank you yeah thank you i mean it's 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 crazy like and and not just on twitter but also on facebook where i think with the upcoming episode it's only appropriate that you continue to scrawl upon our wall we don't know how much longer the wall is going to be there so it's uh, true we need you to make use of it uh while you can but we we will ice our tunnel that is something we will do for you we guys. definitely will ice the tunnel who wouldn't ice the tunnel come on some yeah, asshole actually to prove sam's a point. working on that right now yeah. for us friggin thorn man friggin yeah. friggin thorn yeah so it makes me mad facebook.com slash game of owns is where you can go to do all of your scrolling and then you can also reach us contact at game that's for if you want to get a little bit more personal and, and email us and say more than 140 characters or whatever you normally write on Facebook as well. So if you want to just, you know, get intimate with Zach and Eric and myself, you can do so via email. Yeah, we do read those. And occasionally we do read those on we do, you know, the it program. It just gets crazy. It does. Yeah. There's a lot. There. It gets out of hand. There's just so much to talk about, I feel yeah. like, with these episodes, especially the last one. I feel like we hit so many different characters. And there's so many different storylines, but we got so many important scenes, uh, even in those short moments, that 
we didn't we didn't have a choice. It was um, literally too much. We've got yeah. we've got Littlefinger name dropping, walking in a hallway. Just think about this in the Vale, name dropping to Lord Royce. Like, but what about the the, the Lords of the Vale rode for Ned Stark and Robert Baratheon? It's just like, oh, this is you literally do a good Baelish, I didn't can tell. expect. You no, know, did not expect this to get in to this episode. You know, didn't expect to see so much of this. And even as long as this episode's been tonight, literally, we could talk for hours longer just on it's what true. happened. Yep. It's true. I hope that every character that we saw in this episode, we do see more of again. I hope it's not their last scenes for the season, except for, of course, the people who died. You know what I hope we see again, though, is iTunes reviews. iTunes reviews, will, yes. Uh, where are those iTunes reviews? See them. They will come back in the month of June, where still nothing less than five stars is acceptable. Yes. And if new listeners have made it through um, and are still with us, um, just a little tip is that we do ask that whenever you get the chance, you head on over to iTunes and rate and review the show. It is a great way for other people to find out that we exist. And uh, we do read those reviews on the show. It has been a while, uh, but we will try and do it, I hope, uh, sometime <laughs> next week. You know, iTunes has this really cool feature where you can sort by most recent, so we'll be able to catch up very easily. Uh, if we just didn't dedicate a couple minutes to it. There are many, many owns yet left to read. And of course, you can go look on your own. But possibly before the season's over or somewhere around there, there could be some kind of an own special circulating that's a little bit audience-centric. So be gearing up your trigger fingers after the episodes air because we will be on the lookout for some of those gems or gems if you use the G differently. Ah, I see that. It could be a J or a G. Who knows? Um, But guys, uh, actually, Sam has just called and he said they need some back up on the wall so uh, i think the three of us let's need to go. go head out yeah let's go yep. drafted to the wall yeah i will go i will take the vow i will take the ring to the north uh i'm gonna grab my uh napalm and uh <laughs> incendiary devices <laughs> incendiary devices <laughs> anything that breaks ladders yes we are the watchers on the wall or the ones that talk about those watchers have a great weekend we will see you monday that's because we'll be watching on the, on the wall, wall. Ha, ha, ha.